Please be seated. Good evening to you. John's Gospel, chapter 1, and uh, Sunday night, Genesis to Revelation, and we are, uh, find ourselves in the Gospel according to uh, John. We pick things up in verse 15, this um, beautiful description, really august description uh, of Jesus that constitutes the introduction to the gospel of John, verses 1 through 14 of chapter 1. And then things pick up and continue in that chapter with uh, John the Baptist and his witness to Jesus. Verse 15, John bore witness of him, that is Jesus, and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law given through Moses, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, No. And then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And and John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. These things were done in uh, Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven uh, 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 like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, that is he, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And so here we remember that from the other Gospels that John the Baptist is uh, water baptizing, kind of a ritual baptism. Baptism was not unusual for the Jewish people. It isn't unique to Christianity. And uh, it's unique in terms of what it represents in Christianity, but the Jewish people did baptizing. They did kind of a ceremonial cleansing. And John's baptism out in the area of uh, the Jordan River, out toward the Judean wilderness, uh, he was baptizing people under repentance. 
He was proclaiming the fact that Messiah is at hand, immediately at hand. And, uh, and, as, and so we need to, be rep- to repent of our sins in order to be ready for Him and the message that He brings. And those who were eager to be ready and to repent of their sins, uh, they were water baptized. And so it was a preparation for the Messiah. The Jewish religious leaders sent out these uh, messengers of theirs or part of their crew, uh, the Pharisees specifically, to go out and ask John uh, what in the world it is that he's doing out there by the Jordan River baptizing people. He had obviously gotten the attention of the Jewish religious leaders in Jerusalem. Uh, He was a threat to, uh, his popularity was a threat to the existing uh, Jewish religious systems and uh, they were threatened by his popularity and his message. In verses 15 through 18, uh, John's his witness concerning Jesus, he declared uh, in verse 15 that John is per, uh, preferred before him for he was before him. And when John declares Jesus to be before him, he is ascribing deity to Jesus. He is declaring Jesus' preexistence. You might remember that uh, John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus's, and he was born, uh, conceived, and then ultimately born three months before Mary uh, conceived of Jesus. And so, uh, three months older than him, and yet he says, he was before me. He says in verse 16 of Jesus's fullness, they had all received grace for grace. And so, uh, a relationship with Jesus is 100% built upon uh, grace, unmerited favor, and even our obedience to God comes out as a response to that grace uh, that God has shown us in His Son. In verse 17, he declared that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came uh, through Jesus Christ. Nothing wrong with the law of Moses. The law of Moses was fabulous. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. The law of Moses is fabulous for what it's intended to do in our lives. And what it's intended to do is reveal us as sinners, and as a result of that, sinners who are in need of a Savior. So you take the law of Moses, all all 613 commandments, or just take the big ten, uh, ten commandments, and you lay any person's life up against that standard, and it reveals all of us to be crooked, all of us to be sinners, and in need of a Savior. So it does a good thing in that way, because if you ever kind of share the gospel with somebody, and why in the world do I need to be saved? I, uh, I, uh, I'm not a sinner, and sometimes in our culture, people think that they're not sinners based upon the fact that they're just slightly better than their neighbor on the right-hand side and on the left-hand side. But the standard is perfection. The standard is the law of Moses. And so the law of Moses does its job in convicting us of sin, exposing us as sinners, so it can then uh, hand us off uh, to Jesus. When we put our faith in Him for, uh, for salvation, 
And, and then we enter into a relationship with God that's based upon uh, grace and uh, truth. As he said, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. And that's, he's the perfect combination of both. Um, I don't want grace without truth. I don't want anybody gracing me in a sinful condition and telling me that's okay and it's, you're fine and don't worry about that. I don't want that kind of a message. And I don't want that kind of a Savior or a God. And I don't want anyone, uh, I, uh, I don't want truth without grace, because who can bear up under the weight of that? And so we need this perfect combination that is found in Christ. We need truth. We need truth. But we also need grace. And Jesus is that perfect combination uh, of, of both. In verse 18, we're told uh, uh, that He is, Jesus is the uh, only begotten Son uh, of the unseen God who is in the bosom of the Father and that He has declared the Father. So once again, we see in this first chapter that Jesus is uh, the example of the Father. He, is, uh, he is, uh, reveals the Father to us, what the Father uh, is like. Jesus has declared that uh, to us. And in His incarnation, as we saw last time. Okay, we know that God is this and this and this, but God is in heaven. No one has seen God at any time. God is a Spirit, speaking of God the Father. So, what would God look like in the nitty-gritty of this fallen world? And, uh, and what would He say? What would He not say? What would He do? What would He not do? That's what we need. And so Jesus came into the world not only to provide us with salvation, but to reveal to us uh, the Father, and then also to reveal to us how we can live a life that's consistent with the kingdom of God in, in this uh, world. You notice in verse 19 through verse 23, we have John's testimony to Jesus, uh, uh, to the priests and the Levites from uh, Jerusalem. They ask him in verse 19, uh, who are you? And uh, that would be an interesting question. So we just got out of Malachi, the final book of the Old Testament, and be, between Malachi and John the Baptist showing up on the scene to point people to Jesus, there is 400 years of prophetic silence in human history. How many years has the United States of America existed? It's, it's, it's hypothetical, it's rhetorical. I don't, I don't know in we don't need you to answer it for the thing. But does anybody know? Now, I, now you've got me curious. So it's been a lot of years, right? So there's just that silence for all of that time. And Jesus comes, John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he begins to speak for God. And so they say, who in the world uh, are you? And the excitement that uh, his ministry had caused. And so... and. When a John the Baptist comes up, starts to point people to God, get ready for God, get ready for the Messiah, and God is bypassing the existing religious systems of the day, principally the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that becomes a great threat to them and their money-making operation that they had going on. And so they want to find out, who in the world are you? And John answered in verse 20, and he said, uh, and he took the question to mean, uh, them asking, are you the Messiah? And that was clearly the impl implication. And John's answer was, I am not 
uh, the Christ. He plainly declared that he wasn't. So they asked him further in verse 21 and 22. They asked John if he was Elijah. And of course, his ministry was very much like Elijah's ministry. A call to repentance, a very strong man, uh, uh, eating locusts and honey and, and very rough kind of uh, clothing and, and all. But in that question, he plainly answered, uh, no. And so, uh, again, we might remember out of Malachi that Malachi had prophesied that before the coming of the Messiah uh, that uh, Elijah would be sent uh, uh, before him as a forerunner. So they naturally ask, are you Elijah? He uh, responds then in verse 23 uh, by Quoting from Isaiah, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way uh, of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. And so, uh, in those days, whenever you would have a king going out into kind of the outer reaches of his kingdom, uh, the further you would get away from the capital city that the king lived in, all of those streets would be properly paved and, and all of the roads would be smooth and they would be straight. But if you were going to go out into the extent of, of the kingdom, then they would send out forerunners in order to make the roads straight, to clean up the potholes, to make the roads smooth. And so spiritually speaking, of course, the world is a wilderness a spiritual uh, uh, wilderness. And, uh, and so John comes out spiritually and he tells people, clean up those uh, potholes, get your life straight uh, because uh, Messiah is coming and you're going to want to be uh, ready for Him. And so that's, that is what he was uh, calling them uh, to do in preparation for making it easy for Jesus to come uh, into their lives. You notice that uh, in verse 23, he quotes this passage from Isaiah, and here he clearly ascribes the use of the word LORD in all caps, which is another name for Jehovah, or Yahweh even as we've sung, ascribes it to Jesus. And then in verses 24 and 25, John continues his testimony to uh, those who were sent from uh, the Pharisees. So uh, they're not getting any kind of uh, the clarity that they want related to who he, he, he is. And so they move now to questioning his authority to be baptizing uh, people in verses 24 and 25. And so he declared... Uh, concerning Jesus and His uh, baptizing in the Jordan River. Verse 26, He said, I am baptizing with water, uh, but I am not the Messiah, because when the Messiah comes, uh, He's going to be baptizing with something else. And so, He said, I baptize with water, but I'm not the Messiah, and the Messiah is already uh, uh, in your midst, and He's about to be revealed. And then in verse 27, uh, John declares that Messiah is preferred before him and he's not even worthy to loose his uh, sandal strap. And that's a beautiful humility. It wasn't John the Baptist saying, you know, what could I say here that would really sound good in the Bible? Uh, that's not how he operated. It was, this is how he felt about himself. He knew there was this infinite gulf between him uh, and the Messiah. And so he wants to clear up absolutely any idea in their minds 
that he could remotely be the one that is about to uh, follow him. As wonderful as God has used me, uh, John is saying, um, I am not in his uh, category. And these events took place in that uh, Bethabara there beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. And then at verse 29, John makes his public uh, witness uh, to Jesus as the Messiah. So here he is, he has spoken of Messiah to the Jewish religious leaders, and then now he, he moves and he begins to point his disciples to uh, to Jesus. And so in verse 29, the next day he sees Jesus walking toward him and John declared, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, here he is, he is declaring this in a very Jewish context. And so whenever you would declare someone to be the Lamb of God, immediately in a Jew's mind, uh, there would be the recognition that we're talking about sacrifice. Uh, lambs were the predominant sacrifice uh, for sin in the Old Testament. And so, what an odd way to refer to somebody. Uh, behold, the Lamb of God, you know, who takes away uh, the sin of the world, except that He's communicating something uh, very, uh, very, very strong. And, uh, and so, he's, he's uh, in declaring Jesus to be this, he, he is declaring uh, Jesus to be uh, come as a sin sacrifices, sacrifice. And so, the sacrifice is prescribed under the law uh, of Moses, and it's important to, re to notice that John says, behold the Lamb of God who covers the sins of the world. That's not what he says. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. For all of the offerings, all of the sacrifices that were made under the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, the very best they could do was ceremonially cover our sins. There was never a claim that they could wash away our sins. That's why, as the writer of Hebrews brings up the fact that that's why these offerings had to be made over and over and over again. Jesus comes on the scene as the Lamb of God uh, who, uh, to take away the sins of the world. He is the fulfillment of which these Old Testament lambs were simply a picture. And because of Jesus' sacrifice and our faith in Him, for our salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. Our sins are not merely covered, they are washed away. He takes them away. He separates them from us as far as the east is from the west. And, and this is the unique thing that Jesus does. And when John says this, it's intended to do the very thing that it's doing in our minds tonight, but certainly even more so in a Jewish audience, to get their mind going uh, related to the superiority of this Messiah. And He's not just coming into the world to be an example of how to be a good person in the world. He is coming into the world to ultimately be sacrificed that our sins may be uh, washed away. It is quite an introduction. Uh, to Jesus that John the Baptist uh, uh, gives us here. 
And in verse 30 he, uh, through 33, he identified Jesus as the Messiah that he had been talking about and whom the Holy Spirit bore witness to at Jesus' water baptism. And then in verse 34, he further identified Jesus as uh, the Son of God. And uh, so this is the declaration that he uh, makes uh, uh, concerning concerning him. And so this beautiful kind of picture that uh, he gives, the testimony that he gives to, uh, to Jesus. And then as we head into then verse 35, uh, and again the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, behold the Lamb of God. He points his two disciples to them. And the two disciples, they heard him speak. And they did what he told them. And they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned, and seeing them following him, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi and uh, teacher. And the idea is what we're seeking is to be taught by, uh, by you. And so uh, they said to him, Rabbi, uh, which is to say, when translated teacher, where are you going? We want you to hear what you have to say. And he said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who, who heard John uh, speak here initially and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's uh, brother. And he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought then Peter to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said to him, You are Simon, the son of Jonah, and you shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. And the following day Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom, Je whom Moses in the law, uh, uh, found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile or deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, uh, do you believe? Uh, you'll see greater <laughs> uh, reasons for faith in me than that. Uh, and he said to him, verily, verily, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon uh, the, the Son of of man. And so here we have the first disciples uh, being called now and beginning to follow 
Jesus, and we have a record of um, how uh, differently, how uniquely uh, different people came into contact with Jesus and to put their uh, faith in Him. And so here you have John. Remember, John is not, he, he's not just John the Baptist. He is in the eyes of the people. He is a religious leader. And, uh, and, and a prominent one in their eyes. So he directs two of his disciples now to follow Jesus and to follow him as the Lamb uh, of, of God. And of course, it's always a mark of the Holy Spirit as we see it continually um, in John, always pointing people to Jesus and never taking any kind of glory to himself or making himself kind of the star uh, of the show. He was just there to point people uh, to Jesus, and so he did with his own disciples. And of course, that's the great test. Would he give them up? Of course, he would, but not everybody. Uh, everybody does. And so, the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is to point people to Jesus. And if we want to have any kind of cooperation of the Holy Spirit with our service and our our ministry, then we will point people to Jesus, so uh, he can come alongside that and and to. Uh, bless that. Uh, sometimes I, I, I get asked, people find out I'm a pastor, and uh, it's, it's always troublesome for. Um, I mean, there's, there's jokes about uh, the preacher, the painter, and the prostitute. I mean, they, it's, we're, in this culture today, we're in that category now. So uh, they, they don't know quite what to, to do with you, but they find out you're a pastor and all, and sometimes they'll ask, well, you know, what's your church like and all? And I always tell them the same thing. It's awful, don't come. Just the... <laughs> now, I always say, if you come, all we do is very simple. We will point you to God in worship, and we will point, or endeavor to, and we will endeavor to point you to God in the study of of, of His Word. It is really that simple. God is the, the star of the show, if you'll excuse the, the expression. He is the main and only attraction in, in terms of gathering together. And all of that is in line with the Holy Spirit and in line with uh, uh, John, uh, uh, John the Baptist ministry as well. And so he tells these two disciples, go follow Him and and uh, so they do, and Jesus' interaction with them is found in uh, verse 38 and 39. He asks them as He sees them fo- following Him, uh, what do you seek? Uh, they address Him again as Rabbi. Uh, we seek a teacher. We seek you to be our teacher. Uh, John has sent us to you, and uh, so it's beautiful. They're not content with just having met him. Uh, They want a fellowship with him. They want to get to know him, and uh, Jesus then invited them, come and see, and they spent the the remainder of the day uh, with him. And Jesus will take the time uh, for anybody that comes and says, I want to be taught by you. I want to spend time with you. He will always uh, make that. Now, one of the two of those two disciples of John, who now become uh, disciples of of Jesus, uh, has the name Andrew. And as soon as he comes into contact with Jesus and realizes that this is the Messiah, he makes a beeline to his brother Peter and then tells him uh, of Jesus as the Messiah. And he declares to Peter there in uh, verse 41, we have found Uh, the Messiah. And so Andrew has found the Messiah. He wants everybody to know 
uh, Jesus. He doesn't want to keep this at all to himself. And, and so he goes to Peter and he lets him know we found uh, the Messiah. And of course, this news would have been electrifying to Peter. They've been waiting in 400 years of silence and waiting through the entire Old Covenant for the coming of Messiah, and your brother comes and tells you he is here. I mean, it really uh, must have been something. I do like the fact that, that Andrew here, uh, he didn't wait until he had a seminary education uh, to share Jesus with another person. Uh, he, uh, all he knows is, I've run into the Messiah, and uh, now I want everybody that's close to me, everybody that I love, uh, to know him as well. And so uh, he brought him, verse uh, 42, uh, to Jesus. And we see Andrew repeatedly, when we see him in the Gospels, we see him bringing people to Jesus. And that he has become the symbol in, in the Scriptures of the person that brings people to Jesus who does it quietly and most often does it uh, individually. And so we see him doing that exact same thing here. We see him uh, uh, with a little boy with the five loaves and the two fish that were going to be multiplied. Uh, It was Andrew who brought him to Jesus when the Greeks came to Uh, Philip and they declared we would see Jesus. Philip hesitated and wondered whether he ought to bring these Gentiles to Jesus and it was Andrew who took them uh, to Jesus. And so this type or this picture of of one-on-one evangelism. It is for Andrew and it should be for everyone. It was inconceivable to him that John the Baptist would point him to Jesus as the Messiah as the Savior of the world, and then come to recognize that for himself, and then keep that news to himself for the rest of his life. Uh, That didn't even enter into his mind. Before I came to uh, church this evening, I was reading a a column that was in a newspaper and the columnist was writing about the fact that there's still a place for the church in American culture. And uh, I was just so grateful for his permission uh, to, uh, for, for that. But he said it's very, very important. He said, you know, we're kind of past the thing where those, those moral and, spor- and spiritual kind of uh, standards are, uh, we're past all of that. And so it gets harder and harder to try and get people to listen to these, this baggage associated with Christianity. And all of that is fine because everybody knows that religion should be absolutely private. And he's writing as a Christian, so he's like he knows something about this. The Bible knows nothing about this. And uh, we've been given a great commission. There is no way that we should, as those who have become Christians, by virtue, I mean, so today you got all this DNA thing, so you can find out about all of the the horse thieves in your history or where you came from in in the world and where your DNA can then be sold to China. So, I mean, we've got, it's a wonderful world uh, that we we live in. So we look back on that, but you think about your spiritual DNA. If you could know that the gospel came to me through this person, this, 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 and take it all the way back to this time in the Bible, 
And the reason it happened is because individual Christians took seriously the Great Commission. This must not end with me. I need to share this message with other people. And, uh, and, and so uh, it, it, is, uh, it has happened. And Andrew uh, makes a, a very, very short beeline uh, to his brother in order to let him know uh, about the Messiah. Now, I don't believe in guilt witnessing. I don't believe in uh, preaching the gospel to somebody necessarily within the first 30 seconds of meeting them. Um, I uh, believe that we need to be led by the Holy Spirit. So if I do it out of guilt, okay, they told me the church, and I got, and I got to get it. I got to witness to ten people a day and this kind of thing. We're just going to make a mess of, of of everything. There's a there's a timing. There's a place for things. You go up to try and share the gospel uh, with a mother who is fussing with a two year old in line at the supermarket. Not the right time, typically. Having said that. Whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do, you go ahead and do that. Or, or a police officer in the middle of, of making an arrest or whatever uh, it, it might be. There are times in which we can try and talk to a person and we can't be complete in what we want to say and they can't keep, be complete in listening to it and asking questions and responding uh, to it. And, and so uh, there needs to be the leading of the Holy Spirit uh, related to, uh, to these things. However, we do need to understand as Christians that uh, having had the gospel shared with us uh, in order that we might be saved, we are debtors to, do, uh, to let people know uh, about Jesus as well. And, um, and uh, interestingly, Andrew moves right to his family. Moves right to his family. He moves to Peter. And he shares the truth about Christ with, uh, with him. And, uh, and th there are advantages to that um, in terms of us sharing as Christians, sharing the gospel with our family members. Um, it, it, the flip side is also true, but usually our family members, because they care about us and they love us, they'll give us a longer listen than they would to a stranger. If they love us and respect us, then they will typically listen with some seriousness to uh, what we have to say about Christ and Christianity and what He's done uh, in, in our lives. And so uh, we should never uh, ha ha find it necessary for God to send someone outside of our family to reach our family with the gospel. Now, having said that, the flip side of it is, is that a prophet oftentimes is not without honor except in his own household. And so sometimes where that should be the easiest place to share our faith, people think they know us too well, or our name is mud in the family. Uh, then uh, we're probably not going to be the one that's going to make that breakthrough by saying something as opposed to them seeing the change that's occurred in our life. And so God will then bring someone else 
to speak to them. It doesn't mean it has to be all uh, one or, or the other. And so uh, don't, don't take all the strangers and take them off of a list and say, I'm not going to broadside uh, uh, or, or street evangelize or a prompting to go up to a, a stranger by the Holy Spirit and share the gospel uh, with them because sometimes they don't have any family that will ever share the gospel with them or the family that uh, uh, is a Christian, they don't want to listen to them, but they will listen to you. Sometimes family feels safer asking questions of a non-family member than they do a family member. And so the point being is not to hold it all in, and, uh, uh, but to make sure that we uh, we share the gospel. I think that uh, one of the great things to do is just to say, and again, not to get in, to be led of the Spirit in this. And say, I was talking with someone recently, uh, and, uh, and he shared with me that he has led people to the Lord over the years, but always in the context of a group. He had never been used by God to lead someone uh, into salvation one-on-one. And he, want, he wanted that for his life. And so he prayed to the Lord, asked for that opportunity to happen, and the Lord, in the most extraordinary way and circumstances, opened the door up for him, and he ends up praying with this guy in a restaurant to come uh, to know the Lord. The key is to just say, Lord, I don't want this spiritual lineage to stop with me. Um, but I don't want to go, you know, be a bull in a china cabinet too. So I see both things here. I don't want to be in my flesh and all of this. Would you open up a door today for me to share the gospel with someone and then help me to recognize that open door if and when it happens? And he will be faithful to do that. Maybe not every single day, but he will give that prompting, will recognize it and all of that can become very, very addictive. You notice that upon uh, seeing Peter here, uh, Jesus changes his name from Simon uh, to Cephas, and uh, Cephas is Aramaic for stone. The last person I would call a stone would be Peter, emotionally all over the board, unstable as water, and yet God looks at, Jesus looks at him and he calls, uh, renames him uh, the stone for what uh, this symbol of stability and uh, that he is going to make Peter into and uh, make him a source of stability through his epistles to, to, the, uh, to us and to the early church. I, I think that all of us can recognize in our lives as Christians that when I would say concerning myself, I would not even remotely be the person that I am today apart from meeting Christ and then what He has turned me into. And here He sees, I'm going to make you, Peter, into a stone. So much so, I'm going to rename you on that. And it isn't just that God looks at our lives and He says, I know stuff, I, plan, I know the stuff that's inside of you and I'm going to water it and I'm going to nurture it and I'm going to bring it to full fruition and it would never happen except for the fact that I came into your life. All of that is true. But when we become Christians, we become a new creation and God brings things into our lives that we would never otherwise know or never otherwise uh, be apart from that spiritual birth. 
I know there are blank spots the size of walls in my life before I became a Christian that would have never filled in, they would have never been developed at all except the teacher, except the Holy Spirit came into my life and said, I'm going to bring into your life what you wouldn't otherwise ever know in, in your life, beyond what is dormant in your life. And it's true of, uh, true of, of each of us. And so the following day, Jesus called uh, Philip to follow him. Verse 33 and, uh, 40, uh, 43 and 44, Jesus wanted to go up into uh, the Galilee. Philip was from Bethsaida, like uh, Andrew and Peter up in, in the north. And so Philip then found Nathanael, brought him to Jesus, and informed him, we have found the Messiah that Moses has written about in the Law and the Prophets. It's Jesus uh, of Nazareth, verse 45. And, uh, and so Jesus was a very, very common name in those days. So he says, Jesus of Nazareth, to identify what Jesus it was. Nathaniel's response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now Jesus is going to say, he's a man without guile. He's a very straightforward man. And uh, Nazareth had a very, very rough reputation in those days. And uh, so he said, I don't, I don't know if any good can come out of Nazareth, much less the Messiah uh, come out of, uh, of Nazareth. And he's about to reject Jesus on the basis of, of something that has nothing at all to do uh, with Jesus. And then Philip in verse 46 does something beautiful. He said to him, you come and see for yourself. And Philip overcomes the objection. Again, we don't know, we can't answer every question that people are going to ask concerning Christ. No matter how well-versed we might get in the Bible, Philip overcame the objection by just simply saying, come and see him for yourself. Check him out yourself and see if he is in everything that he says he is and that I have told you that he is. And Jesus' exchange with Nathaniel is there in uh, verse 47. He sees Nathanael approaching him, and he said, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile or uh, deceit. And so Nathanael, again, evidently very much a straight uh, shooter. And, uh, and so Nathanael asked Jesus how uh, he could possibly know him. He doesn't want to say, please, <laughs> you flatter me too much. Now, he knew he was an Israelite without guile. And he says, how in the world can you know that about me? We have, we have never uh, met. I mean, did you uh, do a background check on me on the computer or, or my social media accounts? Or what, what happened here? And, uh, and, and then upon hearing all of this, Nathaniel declared Jesus to be the Son of God and the Messiah, the King of Israel. And Jesus told Nathaniel, you, uh, if, if, if you're willing to make this the basis for your faith in me, you haven't seen anything uh, yet in terms of the miraculous that is going to surround me and, uh, and the, uh, all that you're going to have as a basis for your faith in me uh, as uh, Messiah. Jesus then declared in verse 51, uh, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Here he refers to Genesis chapter 28, uh, Jacob's uh, uh, dream that he has 
while he's uh, running away from home and away from the threats of Esau, he dreamed, behold, a ladder was set up on the earth. Its top reached to the heavens. There were angels of God ascending and descending on it. And then he wakes up, realizes what is going on, and he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not uh, know it. And so uh, Jacob sees heaven and he sees this ladder. This ladder is the connection point between uh, angels ascending and descending, the connection point between heaven and earth and the activity of heaven on uh, earth. And Jesus is saying to uh, Nathaniel, I am that ladder. It's a picture uh, of me. And I am the center of all uh, heavenly activity that is occurring on the earth and will occur uh, 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 on the earth. That's what you're about to see for the next uh, three and a half uh, years. And so he prepares him for uh, what comes next. Well, we'll stop there tonight and uh, with just a, a meditation of, in, in terms of our own lives, just thinking about the miracle that our lives are. Who and what we would, we would be today without God not just renaming us, but making us a new creation and filling in blanks in our personality, blanks in all kinds of areas, our emotions, our feelings, our compassion, our love, all of these things that we would never otherwise uh, know. It is amazing to be uh, one of His children. Well, we stop there this evening, and as we promised here this morning, we want to spend some time... Uh, uh, celebrating and uh, having a, a night of appreciation related to uh, Pastor Ken and uh, Rita Marr. Pastor Ken recently uh, 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 retired uh, as a pastor uh, upon our staff. And so uh, I'd like to invite Pastor Ken and Rita to come forward right now and uh, turn this uh, pulpit over to them. And then we'll get a chance to uh, head into a bit of a Q&A. And then just so I don't forget, following all of this, they'll be out in the fellowship hall and, uh, and there'll be food to eat, time to fellowship with them. It'll be kind of like they just got married. And they're heading...